Arts Podcast, Series 6. The Garden Art Walk is July 10th. What a combination. Gardens and art. Hannah Cloud Sharpless. Gardener, artist, agitator. You're here with me. It's fun. Ready to talk. Is that true? Yes, yes. I'm um never been on a podcast. This is very exciting. Okay. Uh so let's we're going to leave the agitation for another time. And we're going to talk about uh your garden, you as an artist, and you were talking to me earlier about your foraged color art and how it evolved from your garden. So why don't you tell us about that evolution of how your art is created these days? Um, so it's not only from my garden, but I would say also from my sort of wanderings in other people's gardens and in nature, um, walking with my dogs, hiking along the beach and stuff. But I got a book called Make Ink by Jason Logan of the Toronto Ink Company, and he wrote this really beautiful kind of screed about foraging color and not and foraging it anywhere in the you know from the cracks of a sidewalk or picking up some rust or something like that i bought this book because it was beautiful and because i wanted to know how to do this and i liked that it was more less of a prescription and more of an exploration and um and i sort of started just like grabbing handfuls of petal. You know, like the first thing you think about is like, oh, petals. Petals must make a lot of color. And some do. And some make none. Absolutely. And that's sort of surprising, like, um, to find out. And then, um, and then, you know, we have a, a wood stove in the house. So my family started to wonder why I was like putting little tins into the wood stove and burning things. And I can tell you that you um, shouldn't carbonized crab shells in your home inside if your family lives with you because it smells very 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 bad okay um, I'll, I'll remember that yeah yeah but like you can do grape vines and you can do things like that and bones uh like rib bones with no problem at all and then you can grind those and create like a pigment so sumi ink any of these you know old inks used in Chinese calligraphy. Um, those are all made a ground of bones and oils and could be vegetable matter, but ultimately like it's all charred material, which is interesting. Um, and that's what you make most of your dyes from charred material? No, no, no. I really only char things to get like a nice black, although you'd be surprised because crab will give you a nice gray and like different things will give you different colors. Um, dyes, I didn't, I actually really put dyes on the table for a lot, off the table for a long time. I was like, that's too messy. I'm not doing that. And then what I found out was that like, once you start making inks, you're sort of out of luck. You're going to start making dyes and you're going to start dyeing things. Like it's just a natural progression from going from like a tiny little pot to thinking, well, I would really like to find out what I could do with this on a larger scale on fabric. So then you get, I mean, there's a whole lot of learning that goes in behind that. And I have found, um, you know, like a lot of times I really moan and groan about screens and social media and how it's, really hard to raise kids in an era of social media, but I will tell you, like, I could write a book on all the great things I've learned from people on Instagram 
and from dye about about dye about, about dye, natural colors about mineral pigments about binders and fixatives just an extraordinarily like generous generative thoughtful community of people i love my instagram color people they are um they're great people and it's and you don't you know and it creates we all love sharing through visual our visual senses and we're all really generous with our knowledge because I think we all ultimately feel like we don't really own that knowledge and I mean that's something to be reckoned with in a lot of ways a lot of the things that I'm doing um, you know really the the touchstone is what indigenous people were doing with these plants and with these dyes so I'm not you know, breaking any barriers. I'm not really creating anything new except to look backwards at how we have sort of forgotten about how we use plants and how we um, connect with nature. So what plants are you using these days from uh, your garden? So it's all seasonal. And okay. as a person with like pretty severe ADHD, that is awesome for me because otherwise I will get bored and I will um, sort of lose interest. So the fact that like right now the Coreopsis is coming up and Coreopsis just like is crazy because you just put it in a little bit of hot water and it no modifier, you don't have to change the pH, you don't have to do anything to it. It's just the water blooms orange. I mean and then you can take something like an oxi false sunflower and put it in the same water next to it, and it just sits there like yellow petals in clear water. And and so that's all to do with something that I'm not great at, which is ironic because my dad is a chemist, but knowing which chemical pigments are responsible for different um, results. So like right now, Coreopsis is starting to bloom irises those are past but they make the most spectacular like emerald shade of ink um, you wouldn't think it they dry they go on blue and they dry kind of emerald and you can change their color based on ph um, so if you add something acidic to them they're going to change a little bit pinker more purple if you add something basic they're going to go very green um, people always ask me they say so how long will your colors last mm -hmm. And the reality is, I don't really care. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that's sort of the crux of the challenge is if I want to market my wares, people do. People care. They, they want something they can pass down to people. But I'm just of the opinion lately that we've got way too much crap that we can pass down to people. We are so overwhelmed with permanent things that aren't going away. I'm happy to create impermanent things that I would feel comfortable just leaving out in a field. And what impermanent things are you making these days? Um, let's see. Ooh, I did make, so there's something you can do called lake pigments, which are, most pigments come from grinding minerals. Um, or bone or charred bones or um, but minerals and bones primarily but what um, and I don't know who figured this out probably several people in several different places all at once as happens but um, if you bind a dye like a and it can be any kind of dye but if you bind a botanical dye to a salt um, 
it precipitates out of the water. And if you dry that salt, that precipitated dye, which has become a pigment off, you can turn it into a paint. So I had some marigold lake pigment that I had precipitated early on from the first marigolds that were blooming this summer. And I ground it. And I don't do a lot of grinding because it ends up hurting my shoulder. So I just made enough to fill a little bit of a seashell. But if you grind it and you um, mix it with sort of a mixture of acacia gum is the one you can buy. That's a traditional um, artist supply. But I have friends around the world who collect gums from various different trees. Um, there's a woman in England, in Bath. I guess I should say it correctly, in Bath, who um, her name is Found and Ground on Instagram, and she does everything from like she makes hide glue, she gathers gums, she um, is into tanning fish skins and make, makes like things out of fish skins that she's dyed and tanned and like. Anyway, so I made, I recently made some marigold watercolor, which is a really lovely orange of unknown light fastness. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I've been doing like a paintings. I'm getting ready to dye. I'm growing indigo. I'm trying to grow indigo. It's so itsy bitsy right now. But that's okay, because I can get indigo other places. I just wanted to do that full circle of growing it and um, fermenting it. It's a process. So like a lot of things you can dye with goldenrod. I could go over to Phillips Park and like harvest a bunch of goldenrod, throw it in a pot with some water, you know, bring it to a simmer, add some cloth, which has to be treated. That's like sort of, there is a lot, of, there are a lot of steps mm -hmm. that go along with um, dyeing that I think also kept me away from it for a while. It, it is an, it can be particular and I'm not a very particular person. Um, I'm, I have particular aesthetics, but I'm not particularly fastidious in my process, I guess you could say. So you, so, so right. So goldenrod, you just throw in the pot and you get this fabulous yellow, or if you modify it with iron, you're gonna get like a brown, all sorts of different things. But indigo, on the other hand, you just wonder how people came to the knowledge of how to use it, because it's got two different molecules in it, but they're separated by a cell, you know, cellular walls or cellulose, indigotin, and this other one, and they don't make blue until they combine together. But so if you, but the blue is very, like, oxidizes very quickly so you either have to use the fresh leaves immediately or you have to do something called like a fermentation vat where you reduce the indigo and then you have to put it back in a vat and feed it with like bananas or iron you could feed it or fructose or well that's the bananas you could feed it with a lot of things and over time many different cultures have fed it with many different things and not to like harp on this like i guess this is the agitator part of me but like the cultural significance of me, a middle-aged white lady playing around with indigo, but like indigo was one of our primary crops that enslaved people were responsible for and that without their knowledge of indigo having been grown on the African continent, we would not have been able to grow indigo here or use it the way that we used it. So we think of indigo as this all-American like blue jean cowboy kind of thing, but we owe Indigo is not a native plant to this area, and we also do not have the native 
knowledge of that plant um, to claim its use. So like there's, I think about a lot of things when I'm doing my art. I was just going to say, what did you, have you discovered about yourself as an artist from doing this foraged color? Um, I think the whole thing about impermanence being okay with me, I've just, I struggled with that in the beginning and, um, and what to tell people. Um, what I know as an artist is that I much prefer art that looks like I made it by accident. If I make a, I don't, and this is something maybe I have to get over. Um, I think that I lack a level of self-confidence around my lines, around my intentional lines. And so when something comes out quite perfectly, I never am really willing to give myself credit for it. I'm always like, well, that was the material at work. I was just sort of the handler. Um, and then when something comes out in a way that I'm not happy with, it's because I overworked it and I muddied it up and I didn't let it go soon enough. So. Um, I'm trying to have more compassion for myself and recognize my like both that I am an active participant in making my mis accidental lines and that um, nobody is as hard on me as I am on me. Um, I also do think that one of the most valuable things that I have learned in this process of you know, exploring natural and like earth ready pigments and, and colors is that the people who are deeply passionate about this are also deeply passionate about the land back movement. For example, in, I never actually say this right, but Aotearoa, New Zealand, what the, in, you know, the Maori name for New Zealand. So I went to an online, um, I always, you know, 46 is awesome because you just lose words. Um, conference, that was a really good word. <laughs> conference and um, I went to an online conference for pigment people, which is sort of what pigment people call themselves. And it wasn't just like, how do you mull paint to get it to the finest level possible. It wasn't all, how do you do this to get the product that you want? So much of it was about reckoning with our history, reckoning with culture, reckoning with where we're, how we're treating the earth and the planet right now, using these pigments and these practices as through lines to that larger, those larger issues. So I think if I was just doing art, I would be kind of bored. Okay. Um, yeah, but because it gives me an, like, just, it gives me pathways to explore all the time. There's never, it's always something new to check out. You know, Hannah, I've just decided that this winter I'm going to do a whole series with you <laughs> and the philosophy of Hannah Cloud Sharpless. Oh my gosh. Okay, we'll do okay. that later in the season. In, right. in the in no, the year. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure at all. As long but as it seems like it was not on purpose. <laughs> that's exactly right. But thank you so much. Uh, one final thing I want to ask you: Is there any secret knowledge you'd like to share with us? I want to share all the secret <laughs> knowledge with you. I, honestly, <laughs> like that is what I actually have found to be 
especially during COVID, to be so affirming and connecting with this group of people that I've um, hooked up with via pigment, like natural pigments and botanical colors and natural dyeing. It's just the generosity. This isn't about holding back information, but it's also about not claim, recognizing that it's not yours to claim and also recognizing whose it is to claim and honoring um, their ownership of that and trying to sort of reparate them for what's been taken away from them, I think. So I would say a cool secret is that um, you can change everything with pH. So if you want to just at home do a quick color ink experiment and you have let's say you have some blueberries or and berries are good frozen berries are good and you want to just like cook them up in some water let it because they can boil too some things if you boil them they turn brown but berries don't mind being boiled so cook some blueberries with some water strain them out with like a cheesecloth and then mix up a little bit of vinegar and water and a little bit of baking soda and water and then paint with the berry ink and then drop some of the baking soda water on the berry ink and drop some of the vinegar water on the berry ink and see what happens and then mm. see if you can figure out why. Okay, I'm going to try that. So, Hannah Cloud Sharpless, you can talk to her at the Garden Art Walk on July 10th. You can also see her art and see her garden. Hannah, thank you. Oh, this was fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stop by again.